0: Uh, let's get into this, Second Peter chapter 3, you can turn over there. Of course, this whole uh, book is, is um, talking about travel. Are we there yet? And so Lesson 11 here is becoming a world-class traveler, and you know, travel is, is full of the unexpected. Uh, we just took a trip uh, up to Pennsylvania with the, with the new bus, the, the old new bus. Uh, it did well, but we get almost there, and all of a sudden, we you know we we finally we got off the highway. We pull into this uh, kind of this little two-lane road through the middle of this town, and all of a sudden we hear. Psh! I said, That's got to be a tire, you know. So we opened the door when we got to a stoplight, and sure enough, you could just hear the air pouring out of this tire. And it turned out that it was one of the inside Dually tires, and. Uh, God worked it out. Obviously, uh, it turned out that it was a valve stem and not, we didn't run anything over. They took the tires off. I mean, we were right next to a, a, a tire place. I mean, within two minutes, you know, and uh, they replaced the valve stem, aired it back up and didn't even charge us to do it. So we were back on the road in 15, 20 minutes. But travel is filled with the unexpected. Um, but the longer you travel, the better you adapt to issues as they come up. And the more you become experienced, uh, the more you grow as a traveler. There are some people who, you know, For them, going to the airport is just like walking out the front door to go to work, you know? Uh, For me, when I fly, I I don't do it very often, and so I go to the airport, and it's like this whole new experience every time you go, you know? You're trying to figure out where you're supposed to go and where you're supposed to be. Uh, But unfortunately, the same is not always true when it comes to marriage. All too often, couples that have been married 15, 20, 30 years uh, are are at a place in the marriage where rather than developing as a couple, they've stagnated. Instead of getting further along in marriage, into the, you know, uh, together, they've fallen into these ruts where, where, where they're just in a really not a good place marriage-wise, and rather than growing closer to one another, become distant or even hostile. And so, you know, the question to ask yourself when, when somebody that's been married that long is how, how does that happen? How does that happen? Um, actually, a better question might be how can we keep this from happening to us, uh, because Honestly, growth is not automatic. Just because you're married for a certain period of time does not mean that your marriage relationship is automatically good. It doesn't mean that everything is, is going the way that it's supposed to just because you've been married for a certain amount of time. Um, it, it, it happens only by intentionally pursuing growth in your marriage. Uh, uh, you may have seen this, maybe not, but uh, uh, this was in, in 2017, but there was a, a picture of a photo. I mean, a picture of a couple having a date night at a Wendy's uh, that that went viral. I mean, it, it was it was spread everywhere on the internet and uh, it captured a lot of people's attention. and uh, the, it's it's of an elderly man who's feeding his wife. and the in the picture, the, it was just just somebody that happened to be eating in the Wendys with them uh, snapped a picture of this and and the picture is actually of him after he bas- he just fed her a french fry, you know. And so uh, he got up to go throw their trash away and, and this lady who had actually taken the picture went up to him and, and said, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice, you know, what, what's, what, what you were doing and, and how long have you been married? And he said, well, uh, why don't you take a guess at how old I am, but don't guess too low. And so she guessed and whatever else and, and uh, she wrote this. The gentleman got up from his seat to throw his food away and I couldn't resist asking how long he and his wife had been married. He looked at me and asked me to guess his age, but not to guess too low. After a few guesses, he told me he was 96, and his wife was 93, and she was suffering from Alzheimer's. This is their date night. He also told me that if they make it till June, they'll be celebrating 75 years of marriage. I, don't, I didn't actually see the picture. I read this story, and I thought it was pretty interesting, but getting all the way to the end of the line with the person that you started out with, uh, it's an accomplishment. It's one of the most glorious things on the face of the earth. Could a couple be more blessed than to have that happen? Seventy-five years, you know, to share a deep love and a bond that only grows as we age. It's a very beautiful thing. Seventy-five years old, or 70, 75 years of marriage and still having date nights. That's, that's, that's an accomplishment. But So how does a couple keep their love strong over the challenges of time and, and um, through the difficulties and, and through need and through stress and just through the difficulties of life? Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, and you don't need to turn there. Um, you might have, I, I, I gave my outline to, to be used because we, we needed some more. But Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. God designed for marriage to be more than just an okay relationship. God wants our marriages to be a special relationship and an amazing relationship. And that, that kind of, of relationship takes... A weaving together, and that weaving together takes time. Uh, It takes effort. Uh, You have to invest that effort, and and what happens is you intentionally lean into each other through every phase of life, through every shared decision, through all your plans, through events, through memories, and you, you just, you grow closer, and as you, through that process, give attention and intention to your relationship, then you're going to become a better spouse as well, so what we want to look at this morning, just for a few minutes, is three specific ways that we can pursue this kind of growth. We got a lot of verses. I'm going to, I'm, you know, I don't expect you to turn to them because I know you have most of them there in your outline. But I, I want to touch on a lot of these this morning. So the first thing, uh, the first way that we um, pursue this kind of growth is to grow together in Christ. We mentioned this last week, we've kind of mentioned this throughout our entire series that we've been doing on this, only growth in grace can give you the desire and the ability to unselfishly invest in your marriage. Only through Christ can that be possible. 2 Peter chapter 3, you're probably there in your Bible, in verse number 18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever, Amen. Determine that you're going to be a couple who grows in grace together. By the way, that's why the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. One of the ways that we grow together, the primary way that we grow together in our marriage relationships is through Christ. And if you have one that's saved and one that's not, it's, it's, it's virtually impossible to grow together in grace. You're not going to be able to do that because one is going in a different direction with, a, with one father, and another is going in another direction with a different... And you might have a lot of common ground with different things, but if you don't have that common ground of faith in Jesus Christ, and you're unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, then what happens is you're growing in opposite directions. You're not going to be able to get that closeness. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Notice that phrase, as heirs together of the grace of life. When you're an heir to something, it isn't yours unless you take it. You have to avail yourself of that thing. If I find out tomorrow, which would be nice, but if I find out tomorrow that I had some long-lost relative who left me millions of dollars, it doesn't do me any good until I go claim it. Or until Bill leaves me his millions. But other than that, <laughs> I'll talk to you after service. Uh, see, but, but an, an inheritance that just exists doesn't help anybody. And the same is true with growing in, in, in God's grace. If, if we just let it exist, it doesn't help us. It doesn't do any good for us. Through salvation, we have access to the very throne of grace. But even there, God encourages us to ask for grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly, come boldly, he says. How do we avail ourselves with the grace of God? Well, first of all, with humility. We know that receiving grace requires humility. Because you can't receive grace if you're not willing to admit that you need it, right? James chapter 4, verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the, what is it? The humble. He gives grace to the humble. We don't demand God's grace, we receive it. Uh, one one way that humility is expressed is as we submit ourselves to God in obedience to him. When you submit to God and you are willing to obey God, then you are showing him the humility needed to bow before him and to and to do what he's telling us to do. James 4 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? But another way that humility is expressed is when we, we when we reach for God's grace through the means he has provided to give us grace. Um, It's it's just so important that we come to Christ with humility. And as we come to Christ with humility, we're going to come into into our marriage relationship with humility as well. But the second way that we grow together in Christ is through habits. With humility, but also through habits. The same passage in James chapter 4 that tells us that God gives grace to the humble also tells us that if we draw near to God, he's going to draw near to us. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. I mean, it's as simple as it is. The closer we get to him, the closer he gets to us. Part of the way that we draw near to God is through spiritual habits, like reading the Bible, like prayer, and hearing God's word, biblical preaching, serving others, other spiritual disciplines that God's word calls us to practice. And I know what happens so often is that those things just become cliche things. Pray, read your Bible, study it. I mean, but that, that is the key. That is how you draw closer to God, and it can't become just something that's cliche in our life where we just, oh, I need to read my Bible. Oh, I need to pray. We need to make it a point to be doing these things and then to be doing these things together. As you do those things together over time, your hearts intertwine with one another in that shared grace. See, the the, the trend in our culture today is to practice those things less. We were just, uh, I don't even know how it came up, but We started talking about the different names of all the generations, you know, Generation X, Generation Y, Generation this, all these kind of, you know, Millennials and all this stuff. And now uh, I just, I found something, uh, because I was trying to figure out where I was at, you know, what generation am I supposed to be in. And so now they have this thing called Xennials, which is Generation X and Millennials. And it's, you know, kind of the end of Generation X and the beginning of, of the Millennial generation. It's like 1975 to 1985. So I fit into that little category, you know. And they start talking about all the things that characterize these different generations and the newest generation, or no, I guess it's generation Z, right? 1997 to 2012 or something like that. And one of the things, because it, it had a list of all these things that generally characterize these generations, and then it said, and then here's kind of some, you know, some, some negative things that characterize these generations. But in the list, I mean, so apparently this was a list of positive things that they were talking about about that generation. One of the things is, is less likely to go to church. And they weren't even saying that as if it was a negative thing, which why would they? Obviously, they don't care about it, but, but that's the thing. These, these generations today have a tendency to do these spiritual disciplines a whole lot less than some of the earlier generations. Uh, but there are people who tell you to put your marriage before your relationship with Christ and then to pursue that grace through spiritual disciplines is legalistic. You know, they'll tell you that if, that, that, that if you need Sunday morning for a date time, it's more productive for your marriage that you skip church and go on a date than it is to go to church, right? They'll, they'll tell you that if you're experiencing financial strain, then stop tithing. You know, God will bless that in time. You know, you just stop tithing. You take care of those debts and all of those other things. If serving makes you tired, you should stop. In a nutshell, essentially what they're saying is that you, you, you know, that'll tell you uh, that your greatest problem is that your life is too full and that to simplify, you should cut back on everything that doesn't bear immediate results. And look, when you cut back on those spiritual disciplines, sometimes you will see immediate results, but we're not looking for immediate results. We're looking for long term. You know, um, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, aspects of these things that are just very unbiblical in their thinking. And One of them is that God calls us to put our relationship with him before any other relationship in our life. Oh, we need to go on a date. Yes, you do need to go on a date, but not during church on Sunday, you know. Um, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. I mean, he talks about marriage many places in the Bible, but nowhere does he say thou shalt love thy spouse with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind, right? But he says that about our relationship with him. Jesus also taught that discipleship is worth uh, it, it, um, any discipleship that's worth something costs something. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That means that our relationship with him is more important than any other relationship in our life. And he's not saying that we need to go hate, my, I, I hate my wife. But our relationship with him ought to be so strong and so great that in comparison, it looks like we do hate the person that we love. That's what he's talking about, about you should hate your father and hate your mother and hate. He's not saying that we ought to have hatred in our heart for them, but he's saying that our relationship with him ought to be so strong and ought to be so close to the forefront that everything else pales in comparison to our relationship with him. But specifically in in relation to what we're looking at in this lesson, the idea that you should be less active in pursuing Christian growth is short sighted. Yes, if you don't tie then a particular week, you might have a little bit more money in your bank account to be able to go and pay that bill off. But long term, God cannot bless that. You know? Yeah, you might be able to go have fun and, and temporarily have a, a time together on Sunday when you're missing church to go have a date. But that's short sighted because eventually you're going, you know, those things are all going to fall apart. It's these very means of growth and grace that actually strengthen your marriage and draw you closer to one another. You don't want less growth, you want more. So rather than pulling back from the spiritual activities that help you grow as a couple and as a family, then we should work to make them increasingly more a part of our life and part of our weekly routine. So how do we grow together in grace? How do we pursue this kind of growth? Well, first of all, we grow together in Christ. But second, you learn from your mistakes. There's one area that we can grow in our marriage relationships and in any relationship for that matter. Uh, it's to learn from your mistakes. That's good news because a lot of us have plenty of raw material to draw from, right? Most of us have made plenty of mistakes in our lives. And learning from your mistakes doesn't necessarily mean that you're never going to do that thing again. Um, I, I wish, but it, doesn't mean that you're, that it does mean that you'll draw wisdom from them and that you'll grow. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 31. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. When you, when you do something that just doesn't quite work out, analyze it. Figure out why it didn't work. Make adjustments going forward. Our tendency a lot of times is to blame somebody else for our mistakes. And that tendency goes all the way back to the first marriage. We're not going to take the time to read Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 3, God came to Eve and sa- or to Adam and said, Why did you eat of the fruit? Well, my wife. So he comes to Eve. Why did you eat of the fruit? Well, the serpent, right? Our tendency when we make mistakes is to blame somebody else, which, by the way, that shows a a very strong lack of humility, which means we're going to have a lack of grace, but we can't be blaming other people for those mistakes. We have to learn from those mistakes and move on. A a married couple ended up having an argument, and uh, they gave each other the silent treatment. That was the way they were going to deal with it. They just stopped talking. And then it got to the point where neither one of, you know, it went on long enough that neither one of them wanted to be the first one to talk because, you know, well, that would show that I'm, you know, getting over it. And I can't let them know that I'm getting over it, you know. So it went on for two whole days where they didn't say a word to each other. They just, they lived together. They, I mean, they cooked meals. They sat down and ate and they did all this stuff that they normally did, but they weren't going to say a word to each other. And so the husband, come Monday morning, realized that he needed to get up at five o'clock in the morning because he had to catch a flight. To Chicago for a business trip but he couldn't be the first one to talk and so he wrote a little note and set it on the nightstand by his wife and that that little note said please wake me up at 5 o'clock a.m. next morning rolls around and he woke up to discover that his wife was already out of bed and it was 9 o'clock in the morning I mean he was he was angry I mean I I wrote her a note to wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and he rolled over and looked on his nightstand and there was a little note wrote next to him it's 5 o'clock a.m., wake up. <laughs> but see, if you, if you blame each other for your mistakes rather than learning from your mistakes, then the mistakes cost you double. Uh, the original discomfort of whatever it was that, that it cost uh, for that original mistake, but then the cost of having those issues uh, circle around until you finally learn. Once again, learning from a mistake doesn't mean that you're never going to do it again. Sometimes, you know, What you're learning is that you have a habit that's very hard to break, but it does mean that you take responsibility, you take the lesson to heart, and then you invest yourself in trying to make sure that that mistake never happens again. Here's the third way that we can grow together, and that's to ask for help. We have a a tendency to think of ourselves as stronger than we really are, and men are worse at this than, than women for the most part. Um, but the reality is that we've come to times in our our lives, and times even in our relationships, when we need help to grow. We look for that help um, because we need it. But but where? Where can we look for that help that that can help us shape the future of our lives and greatly impact our marriage? Well, first of all, and, and foremost, should be from the Lord. That is the single, unfailing source for every child of God is God Himself, and. Our tendency many times is to go to every other place before we go to Him. We need to go to Him first. I mentioned this, I think, last Sunday in the message, that so often what happens is, well, the only thing left to do now is pray, right? Uh, That should be the first thing that we do. You have an issue, you have a problem, take it to the Lord. People will fail us, even our spouses will fail us, but God never fails us, and He invites us to call out to Him for help. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God, I don't know which way to turn. Call unto me. I'll answer you. I'll show you what you need to do. God gives wisdom to us in answer to prayer, but often He uses other Christian people to help us. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and abrayeth not, and it shall be given him. You need wisdom? Ask God. God will give you that wisdom. But then he does use others to help us, and that's through godly counsel. There are times when you, as a couple, may benefit from reaching out for help uh, to grow through a particular problem or through a difficult or confusing season. Um, I think a lot of times people, uh, particularly couples, think of counseling as a last resort. We've tried everything else. Let's go to counseling. Our marriage is falling apart. We need to go get counsel. But I think I, I think. Uh, We'd be benefited by doing that way early, way earlier in the process. Look, we're having a little bit of struggle. What can we do to correct this before it gets to be a problem where this is our last resort? Um, you know, the danger is in thinking. Uh, in, in that thinking is, is twofold. First, if you wait too long to get marriage counseling, your marriage may be on the rocks, and there, you know, you, you could you could have avoided real danger. When your marriage is on the rocks, that means it's about to fall apart, and there's nothing else really that you can do other than help us. But the second thing is you miss the ways that God specifically wants to give you wisdom. Uh, the book of Proverbs teaches us that one of the ways that we get wisdom in life is by seeking counsel, and I'm not going to take the time to go through all of those verses, but Proverbs 11:14, 14, 12, 15, 15, 22, 19, 20, 20, 20, verse 5, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. We need that counsel. We all need that counsel, right? I'm the pastor of this church. I need counsel, sometimes from you, sometimes from other you know, pastors that, are, that have been in the ministry for a long time. I need counsel. We all need counsel. Uh, the, the Bible talks about that where no counsel is, the people fall, and, and I'm not exempt from that. You're not exempt from that. We all need counsel. Uh, counsel doesn't need to be a last resort. It just needs to be one of several tools to provide maintenance along the way. And there's a few things that I think that, you, that we need to understand before we seek counsel. First, talking about your spouse to others is not the same thing as getting counsel. In fact, that, that actually hinders your relationship greatly. Because when you go to somebody else and start talking about your spouse, you're breaking down that trust that you have between the two of you. And when they find out, which is going to happen, they're going to find out that you went and told somebody about all these things because most people can't keep their mouth shut and it's going to come out. Uh, but that breaks down trust more than you can even comprehend. Um, if you're looking for help because, you know, you know, you're trying to change your spouse, then you're, you're going in the complete wrong direction. Um, but you need counsel that comes from a biblical perspective. And if you ask a secular counselor for help, they may be able to give some common sense advice, but they're not going to have the insight that comes from biblical knowledge not going to have the insight that comes from um, biblical understanding of truth. Worse is that their advice is usually very humanistic. They're looking at it from they're not looking at it from a a um, God perspective or a perspective of you know. Uh, God is in control of everything. They're looking at it from the perspective many times that that we as humans are the ultimate authority in our lives and we can change this and all you got to do is bring out your inner you and all of these other things. And so very, very often that's the kind of advice. What we really want is advice that's going to be uh, gospelistic rather than humanistic, you know, focusing on God's grace, focusing on sacrificial love, focusing on the covenant of marriage. Um, But I will say this. Um, the most helpful counseling is not going to come from your peers. Um, Going to couples who are in a similar stage of life as you are for help uh, can many times be detrimental. In fact, in most cases, they they simply don't have the perspective of time. They don't have the experience to help you. And so when you go to your peers, you are more or less put them in a position to basically take sides. Is he right or is she right? And when you take sides... There's no way to help either one of them um, because that, at that point you're not discerning the heart of the matter. You're not you're not discerning which biblical principles to apply in that marriage. When you sense that you may need help, I, I think you need to go to a spiritual leader, your pastor, somebody who has been married for at least a couple decades longer than you have, would be a great place to start. Um, if you travel to Greenburg, Kansas, you can you can visit what's built as the world's largest hand well and they started construction that uh, on that in the 1880s as the railroads made their way across Kansas because they needed a reliable source for the steam engines um, and so the work was done by a team of men that were using just hand tools shovels picks you know uh, wheelbarrows, pulleys rope all that kind of stuff and as they made their way downward they lined the well shaft with limestone rock and so the finished well is is more than 100 feet deep and more than 30 feet of diameter it took a lot of effort, took a lot of work, but it produced a whole lot of lasting results. And, and I, in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 20, uh, likens wise counsel to water from a deep well. We just read that verse, right? Uh, good advice is not just lying around on the surface. It takes work to find. Plenty of people that have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but they'll be more than happy to give you a piece of their mind and what, what you know what they think about what your marriage needs and all of those kind of things. And sadly, there's going to be plenty of people that give you advice that goes directly against the authority and the commandment of Scripture. Um, but anybody that wants to be truly wise and reap the benefits of godly counsel is going to have to reject the simple approach and, and put a lot of effort in it. But the effort's worth it. Let me give you four things, and we'll be done quickly, but Four things that will gain that will help us gain the most from counsel. You might just want to write these at the bottom there. Um, but here's here's four things that'll help us, and we'll be done. Go with a humble spirit. We talked about that already. But even if you're not the spouse that that set up the counseling appointment, go into it with a teachable, humble spirit. Don't go You don't go in with an attitude of I'm going to prove that I'm right in this thing, and your spouse is being overly sensitive, or they're being misunderstanding, or whatever else. Ask the Lord to give the counselor wisdom and insight, and be willing to share. Uh, openly, honestly, humbly, about the things that that may be going wrong in your marriage. Look, do you want your marriage to work or not? Of course, we all do, and so we need to go in with a humble spirit. First Peter 5:5. 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder; yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Here's the second thing: be prepared to take notes. Hearing and receiving carries the idea of really listening with the intent to apply, right? If we're going to receive counsel, it's not just, you know, you're not just, tell me what you got to tell me. No, you're going, hoping to learn. You should be prepared to record what you're given so that you can review it, so you can think on it, so that you can evaluate how well you're implementing it later on. Proverbs 19, verse 20, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Here's the third way, follow through on assignments. Many times, if you go for counseling, um, you're going to be given an assignment. Do this. Try this. Do it. Follow through on the assignments. We could talk more about that. James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Many times, those, those assignments revolve around something in the word of God. It's only going to help you. Follow through on the assignments. And then, set up accountability. When you see a need for growth or change in your life through counseling, set up checkpoints with the person that you counseled with or, um, or or a couple that you've gone to for counseling to evaluate growth and ask, you know, further questions that have come up. Don't look at counseling as the end of your help. Look at, at, look at the counseling as the beginning of your help. That's a great place to start. And so, you know, when it comes to seeking help, God's help and others' help for the growth in your marriage, you've got to remember that your greatest need is to grow in grace. And remember that humility is a prerequisite for God's grace. Don't don't be too proud to ask for help. See, sometimes life and marriage are unpredictable. And although experience doesn't necessarily make you better able to adapt to the unexpected, it it can't change circumstances beyond your control. And that's where faith comes in. Faith isn't refusing to invest yourself um, and just hoping that it all comes together. Faith is pursuing growth, making those adjustments, learning from your mistakes, and trusting that through everything, God's going to weave your lives together for his glory. That's what God designed marriage to be. So don't you think that God wants to give you the help to make your marriage be that weaving together of two people and and to form that bond that can't be broken? Of course he does. That's what he designed marriage to be. And so if we go to him first for help, then he'll give us that help. That's what he wants us to have. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Faith is what assures you that your diligence and these efforts are going to be rewarded by God Himself. So, yes, grow together in Christ. Learn from your mistakes and get help as needed. But ultimately, you have to recognize that you're not fully in control. God is. We have to continue to diligently invest in the process of growth. But do it with a heart of faith and God's promise to reward your effort. And you know what? He will. He will. Let's pray, and we'll get ready for the morning service. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the truths from the Word of God, and I pray that you would help us all as we try to to, uh, grow together in our relationship with you, grow together in our relationship with others, grow together in our relationship with our spouses and with our families. God, I pray that you give us grace to grow the way that you want us to grow. Help us to have the humility to seek counsel where counsel is needed. Help us to have the humility to come to you when we need help. God, I pray that you'd help us to have strong families here in this church. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.